Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hey, folks, I I wanted to talk about some of the technology policy stuff that has been happening in Washington lately, because I think there's an actual chance of legislative action on it, even though it hasn't really broken through as much in the mainstream politics news. Uh, So I went to McKenna Kelly, who works at our sister site, The Verge. Uh, She's a a politics reporter for a technology site. So she covers this stuff very closely, even though it's been a little bit below the radar. We talked about Facebook moderation, the kind of Facebook Supreme Court, but also this big hearing that happened about Apple and app stores there and some potential antitrust legislation coming out of the House as well as the Senate. It's a really interesting conversation. I think you learn a lot. A lot of the times the most important stuff in Congress is what isn't in the headlines, and that's what we really get into here. Welcome to another episode of the Weeds on the Box Media Podcast Network. I'm Matthew Iglesias. My guest today, McKenna Kelly, is a politics reporter for The Verge, uh, a Vox Media uh, sister site, here doing a crossover event to tell us about some of the technology news that's happening. Uh, I had wanted originally to talk about um, App Store regulation, which seems to be heating up in Congress and we're going to get to. But as we're sitting here recording on Wednesday, um, Facebook's oversight board handed down a somewhat confusing to me ruling about the question of Donald Trump getting his uh, getting his Facebook page back. What what went on here? Right. So after the January 6th Capitol riot, um, Facebook banned Trump from the platform, as did Twitter and YouTube as well. Um, And over those, how many months has it been now? Four or five months since that's happened. Something like that. Yeah, right. Facebook had sent this decision up to what they call their Facebook oversight board. And that board is full of academics, former politicians, folks like that who are set to review the moderation decisions that Facebook makes. And today... They announced, finally, that they are upholding that initial ban. That's kind of the headline news. Mm -hmm. Trump is not back on the platform today, um, but they did leave a little wiggle room for um, Facebook to, over the next six months, develop a new policy that applies to the kind of issues we saw with Trump. The incitement of violence, um, saying, you know, posting misinformation on the platform. And then within six months, Facebook is expected to announce that new policy and whether or not Trump will be back. They have to set a couple of new rules on um, how much of a ban (laughs) is required, I guess, when somebody incites this kind of violence that leaves people dead at the Capitol. So whether or not it's indefinite, whether it's a specific time period, we're going to wait and see. Um, And I think that decision comes down in November, if not before. 
So they basically sort of complained that this was not like enough of a real rule. Right. That, mm-hmm. that 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 there needed to be a, a sort of more clearly articulated principle uh, right. that, that Trump violated. I mean, which is an interesting concept. Right. I mean, normally a company, I don't know, you know, I'd like I got thrown out of a bar once. Um, and I, I mean, I guess there was like some rule against like being too drunk. And but, you, you know, it just like bouncer kicks you out if he wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't it doesn't need to follow like a super strict policy uh but the idea of this oversight board it's like all these politicians the former prime minister of denmark uh an important um federalist society lawyer as other people like that is to create something i guess resembling a a rule bound or like a law-esque process even though it's Mm -hmm. not really the law yeah folks refer to it as facebook supreme court which in and of itself is kind of a funny thing to say but yeah, that's what the board is there to do. And in this instance, um, for a long time, since Trump was elected and even throughout the 2016 campaign, uh, he got really close to violating the rules, if not already violating them. But Facebook continued to offer other solutions to leave him up on the platform. There were solutions like the newsworthiness policy that they have. Well, he's the president. He's creating news. We leave this stuff up. They made these rules like the newsworthiness policy that allows, you know, political figures to say basically whatever they want because they're elected officials and constituents should be able to hear what these folks have to say online. And so, I mean, on some level, right, the intention of creating this board, I think, was like Mark Zuckerberg wanted fewer people yelling at him all the time. And this does not seem to have uh, delivered on that that objective, no. right? Yeah, it was like an obfuscation of authority here and moving it to this what they're calling an independent body that really isn't all that independent. It still is reliant on Facebook in a lot of ways. They made a decision, but the decision is really just punting this decision back to Facebook again to make a new policy for them to maybe later reinterpret in six months. If if you're a conservative, right, if you're, you know, a Republican and you think um, the coastal elites, you know, or sneer at you and they're trying to stick it to you and they control the tech companies because they're all there in California and they're too, they're too woke or something saying, well, you know, this decision was made by the former prime minister of Denmark. Um, like that, that, that doesn't address your concern in any real way. Right. I mean, I think in some ways, if anything, it makes it, um, I'm, I'm reading, you know, um, Jim Banks, uh, one of the House Republicans, he's tweeting, this is a dangerous and reckless decision, sends a clear signal to conservatives using social media. You're not welcome here. Facebook is so big, it thinks it can silence the leaders you elect. It's time for conservatives to pursue an antitrust agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and obviously, like, the traditional, I don't know, like, lobbying argument I think you would take to a Republican member of Congress is, like, this is a private business, like you should, you should let mm-hmm. us do what we want, uh, but cloaking it in law, right? Saying that, like, well, the Facebook Supreme Court has ruled against Trump. To me, it almost seems like you're like waving a red flag in front of, um, you know, congressional Republicans and things like that to say, you know, they make the rules, not not Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is something that I'm personally just really interested in. All last year, while Republicans were complaining about the power that Facebook has over speech and things, I mean, these arguments date back decades, right, to the turn in, you know, media of being more conservative with like the 50s and things like that and liberals taking over in the movie industry and Hollywood. This continues to be brought up. And then right now, what we're seeing is this kind of the same argument being brought to social media that 
Mark Zuckerberg in Silicon Valley has all of this power and there's all these liberals and things like that. So it, it's, it is an argument that is continually brought up part of more of the culture wars more than anything than um, what you would consider, you know, traditional, more libertarian leaning conservative ideas. Right. And, you know, I, I mean, as you say, right, there's this incredibly long history of, of complaining about you know, the the liberal media and, mm-hmm. and Hollywood and things like that. And tech has sort of gotten swept up under that umbrella. I mean, as tech has become more and more influential in the media space, right? Um, and is also, you know, it's California rather than New York, uh, but similar kinds of issues. Although it does seem to me that Republicans are bringing a little bit more um, like policy muscle into the tech issue right like i mean i've been hearing i'm 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 old compared to you um, and i've been hearing republicans you know whine about the media in hollywood for you know two decades now but they never really proposed like doing anything about it um whereas it it does seem and and this i mean i think we'll we'll transition eventually to to app stores but i mean it does seem like republicans on capitol hill at least would like tech companies to think that they are going to punish them in some kind of real way? Right. So, I mean, when you look at, there's already, you know, legislation out there that they can work with. Um, One of the big fights right now is Section 230, the Communications Decency Act. And that is a law that allows, well, basically... Um, obscures Facebook and other social media companies from liability of what people post online. Um, so that's become a part of the conversation with Republicans. Do we change that law in order to ensure that, oh, they only get the 230 protections if they aren't partisan in the way that they uh, moderate content online? Also, this is coming at a time with immense criticism of big tech with actual policy arguments, uh, something, and we'll get into this later about the app store, but there's this large fight and many investigations into antitrust and whether or not, um, the government and law enforcement should break up these big tech companies. So it is a great coincidence in a way that this culture war argument is coming at a time where we already have all of this momentum to regulate or break up big tech. So the Republicans have been able to kind of find their way into this um, and merge the culture war with the policy argument in this way. And, and it definitely seemed like at least while Trump was was president that this was a concern of Facebook's, right, that Mark Zuckerberg was, was personally uh, trying to manage manage a relationship with the White House that he, you know, feared, I guess, either substantive retaliation or cultural alienation of of some kind. Um, And I mean, I I don't know exactly what your read of why Facebook flipped on this after January 6th. I mean, obviously, Trump's conduct changed. That was a dramatic event. I think there was also maybe a sense that the politics of Trump were changing. And that I think is, you know, not not true, right? I mean, the other political story that's happening today is uh, Liz Cheney looks like she will likely lose her House leadership spot over having voted to impeach Trump. So if you if you thought on, I could imagine believing actually as a Facebook executive on January 7th, 2021, that, you know, Republicans would be quietly happy to have you kick Trump off your platform because they were looking to jettison him, that he was embarrassing. He'd lost them these Senate races in Georgia and they were ready to move on. Uh, but the Republican Party now is pretty clearly not moving on from Trump. So as long as he's mm-hmm. off Facebook, like this fight is going to be with Facebook, which as far as I can tell, 
this is not the position Facebook wants to be in. Right. And I think it's important to note that even if you go back to when Trump was kicked off the Capitol riot itself, there was this change in rhetoric with Mitch McConnell, especially providing these statements saying that we're better than this or, you know, saying things like that. And also, I mean, they were validating the electoral votes that day. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a, a noticeable shift in, well, Joe Biden is president. You know, the Georgia Democrats are in. Now Democrats will have this power to actually create some kind of, you know, possibly new regulation for tech companies and speech all throughout, you know, the 2016 and 2020 presidential campaigns. Democrats are really focused on misinformation. They targeted 230 in the same way that Republicans did, right, with partisanship and censorship. But when it came to misinformation, we should act more on misinformation and regulate against that. So I think the tides were turning and Facebook definitely noticed that change. Okay, uh, let's take a break and then I'm going to pivot and talk about app stores. Support for The Weeds comes from Not Another Politics Podcast from the Harris School of Public Policy. With the constant news cycle, there's a lot of noise out there. Opinions are plastered all over social media, pundits are throwing out hot takes without any sort of context, and it's only getting worse as we dive farther into election season. We know that if you're listening to us at The Weeds, you're looking to cut through all this. And if you like this show, you might like Not Another Politics Podcast. Not Another Politics Podcast is produced by the University of Chicago Harris School of Public Policy. They want to take a research and data approach to analyzing hot button issues and offer perspectives that go beyond the headlines. They cover a wide variety of topics in their episodes, but a few recent episodes that you can listen to include a deep dive into why women are underrepresented in U.S. politics or whether or not we can believe political surveys. You can listen and subscribe today at harris.uchicago.edu slash nap. That's N-A-P-P. Support for The Weeds comes from Burrow. Okay, are you ready for the understatement of the century? Buying furniture can be frustrating. You end up visiting a bunch of stores searching aimlessly for the right pieces to match your home, then spend hours trying to get those pieces together or together again if you got it wrong the first time. And that's even if you were able to get it through the door. Burrow is a furniture company that wants to make the whole thing easier. Burrow's new Dune line features a contemporary yet timeless look inspired by the craftsmanship of classic mid-century construction. If you're looking to bring a sense of luxury, comfort, and durability to your outdoor spaces, you might want to consider Burrow. Like all of Burrow's pieces, they offer easy assembly and disassembly so you can move or store them away as needed. Not only that, they ship straight to your door for free. Listeners of The Weeds can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com weeds. That's Burrow. B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash weeds for 15% off. Burrow.com slash weeds. So this is a little bit, I, I think, of a, a, a lower profile uh, controversy in the general political media. But the kind of thing I, I want to talk about on this show, because I feel like something may actually be be happening here. And Congress did a, did a hearing recently in which they were mainly, I guess, they were mainly grilling Apple executives about how they are running their app store. And also it wasn't, I don't want to say it, it wasn't politicians yelling at tech companies, um, but they, they brought in other tech companies, right. To basically yell at, at Apple and give us maybe a, <laughs> a, a more detailed explanation. Like what, what went down there? 
Right. So this is the Senate Judiciary hearing last month, and Amy Klobuchar uh, chairs that committee, and she brought in representatives from Tile. Tile, if you know, is this little device that you can get and attach to other things um, to help track them on your on your smartphone in case you lose your keys, your wallet, whatever. Um, they also brought in a representative from Match Group, which is a company that owns a bunch of dating apps, uh, Tinder, other things like that, and then also a representative from Spotify which has had its own beef <laughs> with Apple for many years. And it really was looking at app stores. These companies have had gripes with Apple and Google, Google's Google Play Store for a long time for the percent cuts that they take when people purchase their products through the app store. And as of right now, Apple, for a bunch of different apps, I'm thinking of like Spotify specifically, they get a 30% cut of transactions made through the app um, if, if they were made through the app store. And so this has made companies that sell their products and their software through the app store. It forces them to come up with these weird workarounds. I don't know if you know, if you try to like make a Netflix account uh, through, you know, the app on your iPhone, they take you to a browser app. So all of the money that you're paying and the subscription fee that you're paying to Netflix goes to Netflix and Apple doesn't get the cut. So this hearing was kind of focused on that larger argument of whether Apple's walled garden approach here and their um, percent cut that they take from the app store, you know, is in violation of antitrust law. Yeah. And this is, I mean, you know, if this is, we, we don't normally uh, talk about tech as much on this show. But, you know, if you think about it, right, if you've got like one of those like casual games or, you know, some kind of app on your phone, it's got an in-app purchase, you buy it, app maker gets money. So Apple takes a cut of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of works. I mean, you may not know it, but, you know, it's it's happening behind the scenes. People are making money off those games. But then there's this sort of other thing, right? Like I use my Kindle app on my iPad a lot. And it's weird, though, because you can't buy books in your Kindle app. And the reason you can't buy books in your Kindle app is Apple would take 30% of the the gross that Amazon charges you. And if you know how book pricing works, like Amazon would be underwater if they gave 30% off the top to Apple for that. And also they just don't want to. Um, So, you know, you got to go in your browser and then you can buy it. And so it's a weird situation where Apple is neither... Like Apple isn't making the 30%. I I assume their goal here, right? Like they want to get money, uh, but they're not Mm -hmm. actually getting that money. Just like they don't get the in-app Netflix signups. Netflix makes you go out. It's just sort of inconvenient, right? And it goes against um, Apple's presentation of this all is that it's supposed to be a more seamless, more customer-friendly presentation, but it's just clearly worse. And then in Spotify's case, I, I guess their concern is not only is it annoying in the way that it that it is for um, Amazon, but but that Apple has this directly competing subscription mm-hmm. music project, right? That's, that's part of what I guess um, makes it an antitrust issue. Right. And that's the same with Tile too. Last mm-hmm. month, Apple announced their AirTag product, which is effectively Tile. And Tile said, well, we welcome, you know, competition. But at the same time, Apple's AirTags are using this technology called like ultra wideband, which is much more effective than what Tile uses, which is, I believe, just like Bluetooth and NFC. I don't want to get into that. But of course, like the ultra wideband provides, you know, better service. It's easier to find your devices and things like that. So yeah, these, they are creating these competing products. But 
Of course, Apple, as Apple does, they're trying to create a better user experience, what they say, but they also are excluding this, you know, new technology from competitors. I also think, like you pointed out, um, when we think of Apple, we think of them as a device manufacturer. We think of them as who builds our phone, the Apple Store geniuses. We have that experience in our head. But when you look over the past couple of years, Apple has made it an initiative to get better at services. And the App Store is one of its biggest profit makers when it comes to the service side of their in- of their industry or their company, right? Last year, the number off the top of my head is like $60 billion in revenue off of the App Store, which is an, a huge amount of money. And of course, that comes from these, you know, percentage cuts they get from other apps. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, it's it's interesting because it's hard not to sympathize. I mean, I'm a, a longtime Tile customer because I'm an idiot and I constantly lose things. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard not to not to sympathize when there's a company that you've sort of liked and, and their products you've admired. And then you see, well, they're getting um, sort of screwed by Apple bringing it in house. It's happened with software a lot over the years. You know, longtime Mac users uh, will, will remember these kinds of things. And, you know, it, it's it's tough because, like, as a Tile customer, I'm really excited to have this more accurate product tracking. Um, I lose things inside my own house and, you know, need uh, can use the ultra-wideband. will tell me what floor it's on. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of sad. Then on the other hand, though, you wouldn't want to say, well, you can never do these kind of integrations, right? Like, right now, I've got a little um, Logitech webcam uh, sitting on top of my computer uh, that, that I'm, I'm using to talk to you because the built-in webcams uh, on, on MacBooks are garbage. Uh, but the new iMac has a much better webcam. I hope in the future they put that in more computers. And that's just like common sense, right? Like you improve the product. And yeah, like somebody who sells peripherals loses out when the product gets better, but that's that's life, right? That's, that's the universe. But it's where I think the app stores become a tough, issue for them because it's really hard to find the alleged benefit to, you know, you or me or anyone else who uses an iPhone from this kind of 30% cut. I mean, I um I hadn't thought super hard about this issue until some Apple executives were in DC like a year ago and they tried to talk to some generic politics reporter. And the presentation was so unpersuasive that I was like, wait a minute. It seems it seems like they're in the wrong here uh, because it's like what what do what do you get as a customer in exchange for your thirty percent? Right. So at this point, what Apple really says is that you get the experience of the App Store. We review every app and we ensure that it's not scammy, that it's not just siphoning your data in a specific way. It has all of these benefits in that way. And I, a very interesting thing that is happening in tandem with this conversation we're having right now is Apple is in court with Epic Games, Fortnite Maker, over this same exact conversation we're having. And in documents that have come out from this court case, Apple only spends maybe like 15 minutes reviewing set apps. And my colleague, Sean Hollister at The Verge, wrote this tremendous piece about how there are still so many scammy apps that put all of these like random subscriptions. And you end up paying all of this money for something that you're not even using. That's just a scam. Um, so there is that counter argument there as well. Apple likes to say, oh, we're providing this experience. There's no scams. Well, actually, you're spending 15 minutes and there definitely are. Maybe not to the extent on other app stores, maybe, but it's still a, like a, a bad problem for the company. Right. And they don't, um, you know, I mean, I guess the idea in in theory is that you don't 
have to like worry as much about things that you might be buying or, or things that you might be downloading. And I mean, I remember when they first rolled all this stuff out and it did seem kind of, kind of interesting, not just, oh, it'll be good that you can have apps on your phone, but you know, like a new experience, you might not have some of the, the problems that people have traditionally had with, with software, but I wouldn't say that the app store that exists right now, it's like, it, it's not so great. You know, like it's a, there's lots of kind of garbagey things in there and weird, tricky stuff. And then at the same time, like Netflix is not like a shady, nobody's heard of it, fly by night company, right? Like this is just a totally normal subscription service that is there on the app store. And I don't know, like Apple's just trying to get money, but I mean, I guess that's business, right? I mean, why can't they just go with the argument that like, like the phones are really expensive, but you know, that's, that's life. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Right. I mean, they do point to competition. When Tim Cook was um, testifying before the House Judiciary Committee last year, he was like, well, there's other devices you can get. You can go on Google. You can use Samsung's App Store, you know, the Sony PlayStation App Store. There is all of this stuff. If you don't want this experience and you don't have it. But when you buy an Apple device, right, you are locked into the App Store. Unlike Google and Google Play, you can't really jailbreak an iPhone. You can, but then Apple, you know, gets really pissy about it. Um, so you really are locked into that walled garden opposed to the other options that are on the market. And is that, I mean, is that the a legal standard that normally applies? Because there's, you know, there's different things like that, right? There's like printers and expensive toner or razors and, and razor blades where companies try to lock you in, but still like the option is, Nobody held a gun to your head and made you buy an iPhone, right? Like if it was so much better to not have these app store rules, you could just like buy some whole other, some whole other ecosystem. Right. Yeah. And I think that is an argument that is being continually brought up, whether it's from lawmakers or, you know, policy wonks in DC, you know, uh, making these arguments. Um, it, it's definitely in the conversation. So what what happened at the at the hearing? I mean, what was the general tenor of it? Did this turn into a like a, a partisan food fight like where Democrats were, I, I guess, um, Senator Klobuchar held the hearing, um, I guess, with the intention of bringing some critical scrutiny to Apple? Did they did they have like friends and allies there? Yeah, I think it was one of the better hearings. Uh, and I sit through all of these. Uh, and normally, I think a good way to put it and what my editor, Neelai Patel, always says is it's going to be a better hearing if Jack Dorsey isn't there um, and lawmakers can't complain <laughs> uh, explicitly to him about their tweets not going viral or whatever. Um, and it's also easier when we don't have the CEOs there. And also when it's in the Senate. The Senate tends to take this more seriously. They have more time for questioning. It isn't like 30 members on a committee trying to get some soundbite to put on Twitter, right? So it was a more substantial hearing. And I, I think it was successful. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of individual moments that really stood out to me. One specifically being when Match Group was like, yeah, we posted our um, prepared testimony last night talking about um, specific things that the Google Play Store requires us to do. And then the Google Play representatives called match group that night and was like, um, you didn't say that in your earnings report. So why are you um, complaining about it to Congress? So there is this weird what you what some folks are trying to say was um, retaliatory conduct from the app store maker. So that was kind of interesting seeing that how that relationship plays. Um, but yeah, it, for the most part, of course, you had the Republicans being like, oh, Apple and Google are bad and partisan and 
people are deplatforming Parler and taking Parler off the App Store, right? But those were mostly just in their opening statements. And then throughout the rest of the hearing, it really was, you know, real questions about how the App Store, these percentage cuts affect business and competition in the market. It's interesting. I mean, because this is where you see, I mean, it's an industry split. Right. It's it's tech companies against other tech companies. And that's always, a, I think, a danger zone for companies that don't want, uh, you know, companies that are fearing bigger regulation when there's like other companies that are sort of out there trying to trying to get them. Um, I mean, I guess the question on the other side is like, well, what kind of benefits would I I mean, if I don't have a tech company, if I'm just a regular person, like how would it benefit me to make Apple either open things up or, or reduce prices or, or something like that? Right. So I don't know if you pay for Spotify. I pay for a Spotify mm-hmm. um, subscription, but they just raised their prices like last week um, for a family subscription plan. Um, and part of the argument here is, well, if we um, are able to sell our products on the app store and not take these cuts, well, then the prices will go down for consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's not the way it's ever been. It's hard to prove <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen if that does end up being the case. But it is the argument that's being made. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it seems like at least more convenient, right, if you could sign up through the thing. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, well, here, let, let's take a break. And then, then I want to ask what the kind of policy remedies might be here. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I guess the question I sort of have thinking about this as a political topic is, I don't know, like I, I wish that Apple would just be be kinder about this kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that amounts to, but, you know, I, you could imagine a world in which they are just trying to be more reasonable, right? Like they are taking much lower cuts of small app makers things. They are dealing with digital subscriptions in a different way from, you know, in-app game purchases. They're saying, sure, we're leaving some money on the table, but it's worth it for, for goodwill and, and the user experience. Um, but that's not, the decision they've made. And the idea to me of, I don't know what, the Senate Judiciary Committee saying, no, you got to knock the price down to 10% because you're just, you're charging too much. Like that just, I don't know, it feels odd to me. Like there's a lot of companies arguably charging too much for a lot of things. Right. So I think there's two ways to think of this. Uh, Throughout the hearing, definitely Tiles, Spotify, all the companies who have these complaints wanted an app store bill. Mm -hmm. They wanted something explicitly regulating app stores. But when you talk to legislators, uh, I don't know what's happening on the House Judiciary Antitrust Committee on that side, but in the Senate, 
it seems like folks are leaning more towards a broader remedy. Um, talking to Amy Klobuchar myself, when you talk to her, um, she seems more adamant about giving law enforcement authority. So w- when I say law enforcement, I'm talking the Federal Trade Commission and I'm talking the Justice Department, um, giving them more resources and money to take on tech at large, right? These issues, whether it be app stores, whether it be buying of small competitors like Facebook and Instagram and things like that. And then also looking at smaller remedies that can be made that don't explicitly address one specific market. So in um, Amy Klobuchar's bill, she has some language in there that would forbid exclusionary conduct, right? And that could be applied in some ways to the app store. But so she's talking about a kind of general increase in regulatory resources rather than necessarily the the standard right so if you're if you're not super familiar with this right we have a an antitrust division in the justice department and then the federal trade commission also does antitrust enforcement um they only have so much staff, I guess, uh, only so much time to go after things. Um, a lot of people look back on Facebook's acquisition of Instagram and think, you know, maybe that was a bad idea. Um, but normally an acquisition that's small in scale, like wouldn't attract, you know, much scrutiny, right? But if you had like a huge army of people, maybe you could look at it. That being said, I mean, just because you look at more things doesn't mean, you know, any action would necessarily be taken if the rule is, well, I mean, because like the basic question with the App Store, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. It seems to me that the basic question is you can look at this as a monopoly because Apple's giant and there's only two really smartphone platforms and everyone needs a smartphone these days. So it's an antitrust issue. Or you could say, yeah, it's not an antitrust issue. Like Chuck Schumer gets by with a flip phone. You can get an Android if you want. You can get apps without, you know, it's like no, nobody needs to buy apps from the App Store. So, you know, let, let the free market rule. Which just kind of seems like a, I don't know, it it, it feels like a legal doctrine question to me more than a resources question. Yeah, and there really isn't anything governing tech companies at all or um, having to do with these kinds of markets. I mean, there's been investigations. The Justice Department has this big sweeping big tech investigation. The House Judiciary just got done with one that took 16 months to complete. It was pretty all-encompassing. But yeah, when it comes to this stuff, I'm not really sure what the remedies really are. When I when I think of this and I think about it in the context of the hearings that are happening, these individual possible violations of antitrust law are building this bigger case for law enforcement, for Congress to set up maybe rethinking the Sherman Act, rethinking the Clayton Act, rethinking large bills like this and building the case for that in light of these huge you know, Silicon Valley companies. So, I mean, do you think there's a real prospect of that happening? I mean, is there, you know, work going on? Because, you know, you you mentioned sort of Nilai's thing that, like, it's it's always better when Jack Dorsey's not there so, so the members can't yell at him. And it's always hard to tell. You know, we were talking about Facebook at, at the top, where, again, I feel like, at least my sense of it is that members of Congress much more just would like Facebook to make decisions that they agree with. And maybe threaten them with the idea of policy changes, but that people aren't really sitting down there, you know, like doing the work to say, okay, here's a new, you know, a communications act for the 21st century that totally changes how we regulate social media. They're just kind of mad and and want companies to to know it. Mm-hmm. Is is that the wrong way to think about this this app store and, and Apple question? I mean, is there more serious work happening? 
No, I, don't, I think that's a fair assessment to make personally, um, just because and I can see how people can come to that conclusion for sure. I'm thinking of an interview that Senator Chris Coons did with Politico earlier this year, where he basically said, we're going to haul in the Texios and we're going to say things and maybe sometimes that's the best way to do it. And they'll just react with this over, you know, overhead threat from us. Um, but there are a lot of like serious investigations happening that could lead to actual legislation. I'm thinking specifically like that 16 month long antitrust investigation in the house. That was a huge report that came out detailing ways that the committee has found that tech companies could be in violation of antitrust law or that we need to rewrite the law for the 21st century. Now, of course, there aren't any big, you know, overhauling bills just yet. Chairman Cicilline um, from Rhode Island, he said that, yeah, we're going to have legislation this year. So I would expect to see that coming. And of course, the person who helped on that investigation and is likely helping, you know, guide whatever that legislation is, is Lena Khan, who is one of the foremost antitrust thinkers of this, you know, decade, having written the Amazon antitrust paradox, which was a viral legal paper, not something you normally say. Um, but the legal paper went viral and she is in the process right now of being confirmed for the FTC and sitting there as a commissioner. So this work is happening. Of course, it happens really slow. And we can also look at, you know, the work that's happening with the state AGs. There are several investigations and lawsuits now charging these big tech companies with violations of antitrust law, whether that's Facebook and Instagram. And they're also looking into the Google ad market, right? There's also that. And of course, what it always comes down to, you got to look at, specifically in this App Store conversation, there were several bills that were proposed at the state level in North Dakota, in Arizona, that have subsequently been shut down, um, basically giving more developer-friendly conditions in app stores like the Apple App Store. If more of those continue to get picked up, executives and policy people and lobbyists from Apple and Google are going to be headed to D.C., begging for <laughs> overarching legislation that preempts these state laws. So the momentum is there. It's just something that takes time, right? And I also feel, you know, as a, as a cynical person, Apple has not traditionally attracted as much scrutiny as, as Google and Facebook and, and even Twitter because it's less directly relevant, I guess, to politicians' lives. Uh, but also, I mean, I, I was talking to some uh, friends and, and people who work on the Hill, and they were all remarking that Apple does not have a big um, lobbying presence in in Washington relative to the – I mean, they have a presence, but this is like a really – really big company, um, one, of, one of the biggest companies in, in the world. And at least they were telling me that their impression is that Apple has a pretty small sort of DC shop that's pretty focused on, uh, you know, international tax compliance issues, which obviously are a big deal for them with many, many millions of dollars at stake. Uh, but like Google is like really big in politics and has been for for years. I went to a big party at the 2016 convention that was like the Google Hillary Clinton party. And they had a million people who used to work in the Obama White House were there. So they, they've got like a lot of friends when, when they get into these problems. And Apple sort of doesn't. Um, although I guess they, they won the state fights ultimately, right? Did they, did they beat mm -hmm. that Arizona bill? 
the Arizona bill's dead as of last month. Um, of course, these can be re-brought up, but right now, you know, the argument for the states is pretty much dead. So uh, we mentioned this a couple of times, but can, can you explain what, what was that Arizona legislation? It was supposed to sort of help Arizona-based software developers is the idea? When it comes to these bills, like the Arizona bill, it, it it's to give developers more options to bypass the app store and not be forced, you know, to make their products explicitly for Apple's app store. So there's some kind of like side app store that's not run by Apple in order for them to, you know, uh, have more competition and reduce rates over time. Uh, so, so this was a, a Republican measure in, in Arizona that failed, even though it was Democrats mostly opposed it, Republicans mostly supported it. But I, but I think it, it failed, even though Republicans have the majority there. It did. Right. So it was a Republican sponsored bill. There were several hearings held um, about the bill. And at the end of the day, it just it was crushed. It wasn't taken up. Um, or voted out. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the lobbying power of these, you know, big tech giants too, and those discussions pretty quickly. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, it sort of shows the the squeeze uh, that, that the tech industry is under. I mean, you were talking about uh, Lana Khan, who, you know, is a major tech critic. She worked with the House Antitrust Committee. She's going into the Biden administration in an antitrust role. So on the one hand, I mean, they were looking to Democrats in the state legislature to help them out. Uh, but then they've got Democrats in Washington maybe moving moving against them. I mean, I, I shouldn't be overly broad. Uh, she's She's best known for her criticisms of Amazon, which is a whole different company with a whole different set of issues. Uh, but it's where you really don't want to be as an industry is facing increasing criticism and scrutiny from like genuinely from both sides, even if the complaints are not exactly the same. Right. It puts you in a bad position. Um, and th there's a narrative already built around these companies, right? That, of course, you know, Republicans and Democrats will pick apart in specific ways. But I think everyone in D.C., when it comes to lawmakers and things like that, have come to an agreement that these companies do have too much power. Um, how to remedy that? That's, of course, you know, a broader <laughs> debate. But the narrative is there. Um, and that's part that's part of the bigger issue. You know, when crafting legislation at all is coming to some kind of um, agreement in, you know, the state of play. And I think this is a pretty, there's a lot of continuities between Biden and, and Obama, obviously. Uh, but this is a difference between the two of them, characterologically, as well as intellectual changes. You know, I think Obama was very, was very into tech, um, and sort of saw it as a, as a counterpoint to finance, you know, taking over in, in the wake of the, the Great Recession and was really into the idea of like, well, smart people going to Silicon Valley and building things instead of, um, you know, just like swapping futures contracts. Biden's a little bit more of like a cranky, cranky old man um, who I think is not quite as impressed uh, with, with this kind of thing and has been more inclined to to move in the direction of, of tech critics. Um, plus, you know, the issue has just sort of ripened, I guess, so over the years. Um, you also, you mentioned uh, Sicily from, from Rhode Island is one of the big actors here, and he got good news from the Census Bureau. It had, it had looked like Rhode Island was probably going to be consolidated down to just one House member, but they they just made the cut. So he's around. Um, what should people, I mean, if you're interested in this topic, what what should we sort of look forward to? What what do you think is next on the on the political agenda? Right. You just brought up Cicilline. I'm expecting a, some big 
you know, antitrust bill to come with come from him, whether it, that's just like one big one or a bunch of small ones. I'm going to expect more hearings on those and pass possibly votes um, under Biden. Uh, that's that's incoming. And of course, we don't know when these uh, Justice Department and state AG, you know, court cases are going to be finished. I think the state AG one is being heard in 2023. Um, so there's still some time there. Uh, so you would watch out for those as well. And of course, just Congress always has to react to everything that happens in tech. Um, so who knows? Maybe something else will break. Um, something else will happen. We'll have another hearing and maybe more momentum to get things done in the future. Litigation is really, really slow. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's like a, a, a frustrating thing. I, I mean, I guess the the way I would sort of think about this, right, is it, it can feel like nothing is happening because these these things take years. Uh, but also the the momentum of the government is very large for sort of the same reason, right? And it's once everybody is gunning for you, you're kind of in trouble, I think. Like it's it doesn't I I, I feel like I would not want to be I mean, I would love to be a super rich tech CEO for, you know, <laughs> just just to be rich. Uh, but they, they don't seem to me to have the upper hand in these debates. And and I think you really saw that with the Facebook news this week, that like they mm-hmm. went through all this effort to try to come up with a way of making these decisions that would stop people from being mad at them. And people are really mad. Yeah, it, that, it wouldn't be a Facebook moderation decision or, you know, announcement if it didn't make everyone mad for different <laughs> reasons, right? Um, I saw a statement come in from Representative Ken Buck, who is um, the top Republican on the House Antitrust Subcommittee. And he read the decision completely wrong, saying that Trump was going to be banned indefinitely. And this requires antitrust action. And I was like, man, just (laughs) could you read it? Uh, That's not what it said. So of course, you're going to people are going to pick things apart to drive this broader conversation in the future. Okay, uh, well, thank you very much, uh, McKenna Kelly from The Verge. Uh, Thanks as always to our sponsors and to uh, our producer, Eric Janakis. And the Weeds will be back on Tuesday. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.